Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Today we got uh, McBee Farm and Cattle Co. on. We got Steve McBee and Stephen McBee on. Farm and uh, Dad and Son Combo. Jesse and Cole were supposed to be on as well, but uh, I think they're stuck in the tractor planting today. So uh, overall, the company or the family has quite a few companies. They farm about 40,000 acres. They got a couple thousand head of cattle they manage. Uh, they also have their own hunting lodge. The boys have their own hunting show. And they have another business called McBee Custom Homes that Steve heads up. And they have a few new ventures in the pipeline we're going to talk about today. McBee Car Wash and apex protein so uh with that i welcome both of you guys to the show yeah thanks for having us we uh, appreciate you having us on we wish jesse and cole could be here uh but we would not trade places with where they are right now they're stuck in a tractor cab and my dad and i get to do the fun work <laughs> yeah, we call in and check on them and uh we get a little latitude like what are you guys working on well we're out here busting our you know what so we, we check on them a little yeah every now and then <laughs> Exactly. So uh, first question I have is, uh, I, I haven't found much background and we've got a chance to hang out a little bit the last few months. But um, one thing I had never really asked you guys was how the farm got started and how this whole, all of these companies got started. Are, are you a first generation farmer, Steve, or did your dad start? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So first generation, um, you know, I, yeah, I'll tell you, kind of started through the hunting industry to make it long and short. You know, I had uh, when, when I was young, we, I'm from Bramer, Missouri, just 20 minutes south of Gallatin, 25 minutes south. We had a, uh, you know, grew up. My dad was all outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping is all we really did. And so uh, one year we went to a uh, we had a 1200 acre spot that best whitetail hunting there around Bramer. It was my uncle's land. We went there and uh, he's like, oh, Jim, I lease that land out. And uh, my dad's like, what? And he's like, I, I, I never wanted to ask you for money, Jim. You've done me too many favors. So I felt bad with these people. And so we lost our hunting ground. And I was thinking, boy, when I have my when I get older and have my kids, I'm going to buy my own ground and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my hunting ground. And literally, uh, I started so 25 years. This is our 20, 25th year with McBee Farm. So 1998, um, I bought the first uh, 450 acres up by Jamison, Missouri was actually looking by Bramer and had an uncle that was a realtor and got into a good deal up there and uh, started just growing from there. The, the first couple of years, I was sharecropping. 
and had a lot of issues and uh, just a lot of people on the land and just said, you know what, I can figure this out. I'm, I run a lot of equipment, you know, and, you know, thought, you know, thought, oh, I'll, you know, like everybody, I'm going to do this. I'm going to research this and study and I'm going to, I'm going to do better than anybody. And since then we've been getting our ass handed to us. So yep. there's a lot to learn. And, uh, but no, so kind of just grew exponentially from there, started adding acres and adding acres and adding acres. And I actually love the ag space. It's of all the different, uh, business entities that we have, um, the ag space to me, uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy, you know, the challenge of it, you know, the science behind it, um, you know, being able to, you know, uh, plant and, and have a quick season, a turn, and then you get it next year to try again. You know, I used to always tell everybody, you know, we're like the chiefs, you know, but, uh, you know, there's always next year, but they've been winning a lot lately. So I, I got to come up with a new saying. So, you know, but now with, uh, we, we definitely have enjoyed the challenge and, and the growth. So first generation and all four boys are actively involved. That's been a blessing. I know I, I hear all the time in the ag industry that the, the kids want nothing to do with what the, the grandfather or father set up so they don't have any kind of succession plan. So very fortunate from that aspect. The, the boys want to be actively involved. They enjoy the farm, um, you know, the outdoors, the, every every part, every aspect of it. So did, so did you just, uh, when you bought your first piece of ground, did you just jump in and start farming full time or did you kind of, what, what were you doing before farming? Yeah, before farming, he had a underground infrastructure company. Uh, so doing teledata, fiber optic cabling, um, things like that all in the Kansas City area. And 2005 would have been the first year of actual farming operations. Is that correct? Well, I, in 98, when we started, I was sharecropping. Yeah. In 03, we started planting some of it. Like 03 was when we bought our first planter. We had, I had tractors, but then bought a planter and still sharecrop on certain pieces and then just kind of started going from there as far as when we started growing into actually farming. Mm -hmm. So you were doing underground uh, cable work, excavating work? Yeah, so I guess a real quick story on that was, uh, so when I, uh, well, really when I was 19, I got into doing some cabling, uh, so voice data fiber optic, uh, building out the networks, and then, you know, started my own company really a year later, and uh, just started, I, I met a guy and um, from, Can he was a, a retired Air Force guy that worked at Kansas Communications out in Overland Park, started bidding work directly to them, and he really liked me, you know, thought I was a, had a, you know, a ton of work ethic, hard worker and started uh, bidding work and so, you know, started that company. So, it's, you know, that would have been 94, 95. So I was 21 turning 22 when right. I started my first. And then that just kind of started growing exponentially and uh, got going from there. Perfect. So, what, so did you sell that company off or? Or is, is that is that still a company now or? Yes, it is still a company now. So whenever uh, him and my mom divorced, my mom took over Lantel and then my dad uh, obviously has the farming up and all the other companies as well. So that was uh, my mom took that over throughout the divorce and still runs that today, actually. Oh, good. Deal. So so when did so when did you guys really start taking the farming to scale? Like when when were you like, all right, look, we see an opportunity in this and let's uh, when let's I got out of high school. Home. Yeah, I graduated high school in 2013 and at that time we were farming 5,000 acres 6,000 acres uh, and then actively from there we started growing to uh, I want to say by 2016 we were up to right around 20,000 acres 
we grew pretty rapidly. Like right when uh, commodities fell off after 2012, um, obviously we started able to capture quite a bit of market share. You know, farmers were selling off their operations, their land, their equipment, just because commodities were in the tank uh, from 2012 to really 2020. And so we seen that as an opportunity to grow our operation. Um, you know, we never do anything uh, half-assed. And so we jumped in with uh, both feet forward and we started growing the operation year to year. We were almost doubling in size every single year. Um, you know, learning by drinking out of a fire hose. And in 2020 is when we got into uh, that 40,000 acre mark and have stayed there ever since. And you, and you went to school, uh, college for football, right? Or no, did you didn't end up going for football? Didn't end up going for football, got injured. So I did not going, uh, did not end up playing college football. Uh, went down to UCM, got my undergrad in entrepreneurship, and then uh, finished off my MBA with an emphasis on finance and accounting. But really the entire time I was working at the farm full time. I'd travel down there for a class and I'd commute right back to the farm and work nonstop. Uh, you know, in my entrepreneurship classes, we were working on business plans, you know, creating these uh, loan portfolios or loan structures that we would pitch to potential investors. And I remember we had a t-shirt business that I was creating a loan pitch or a loan ask for a bank or an investment uh, firm for $2,000. And at the same time that I'm working on this school project asking for a $2,000 loan, we're working on consolidating a farm loan for ten and a half million dollars uh, for a bunch of farm ground, putting all these pieces together for a farm uh, fixed loan. And so it's just kind of funny that I was, I was doing these, you know, very minor uh, school business courses. And then at the same time doing the real life stuff that was tremendously greater in value and, and importance. Yeah, that was a question, like how, how involved were you? But um sounds like you're pretty involved in that scale up. But yeah, very very involved. Whenever I got out of high school after my injury and decided not to play football, it was really at that time that I immersed myself fully into the farming operation, knew I wanted to get into the farming and ranching world. I'd grown up working, all of my brothers and I had grown up working in the farming operation. We'd come up every single weekend and during planting and harvest, we were up here basically any minute we weren't playing football or weren't in school. So the minute I knew that college football wasn't going to be a thing for me, I dove my time and attention into the farming and ranching operation. So were you were you guys running cattle at that time, or did you venture into that? Yes, we were running cattle on a, on a small scale. Small scale. At I that mean, time. had like a hundred head. Um, you know, kind of cleaning up the grasses, the areas that we couldn't farm on some of the land. I mean, it was more you know just kind of it's more of a hobby, more of a hobby cattle farmer than than what we are today. Yeah. What are you guys running now? What type of cattle you got up there? Angus, well, we run a lot of uh, a black Angus, you know, black, white face, red, white, red face. Um, we had, I bought a registered, I, mean, I got into the registered Charlet game for a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'm just not, if you're not going to go and, you know, spend all your time showing cows and really trying to build a brand, um, we were just too busy. And then obviously, you know, if they have a pink nose at all, any of the, any of the cell barns or, or feedlots that you get a dock. And I mean, Angus has just done a great job marketing uh, for, for that space. And so, you know, you, you know, it just doesn't pay in this part of the country really, you know, so black cows are what bring the premium. And, <laughs> That's uh, funny. We had a, uh, so my grandpa had a farm in Polo, Missouri, you know where that is? It's oh, kind yeah, of oh, yeah. You guys in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. So he tried to get into Charlay's at one time too. This is probably back in the late seventies, early as shit, same type of deal you're talking about. And then we, we went all back to black, but yeah, it was, it was fun. We had some really crazy Charlotte uh, bulls that were just nuts. Couldn't keep them in. I mean, they were crazy as hell. And uh, I think one of them took like second down to American Royal, but it's, it's funny. Just like you're saying, yeah, it's, 
this part of the country. Yeah, not, they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah they're, they're I, gorgeous animals, but they just don't bring anything around these parts. Yeah, you know, you're getting a, a you know a twenty to thirty dollar dock per head. At, you know, they're cutting them out of every, every really every, calling them out of. Yeah, they. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it just it's just not worth it. I mean, when you know when you look at it from a financial aspect, I mean, you know, our, you know, of course everybody's going to tell you, and I agree with it. That's why I, I like the Charlets. Obviously, they're a European breed. They're large. They're a large bone. You know, cow, and uh, you know, when we were doing purebreds, I, you know, I bought some really expensive bulls, and I mean, they're they're a little harder until until you start crossing them up to get the F1 heterosis with like an Angus. So we had a lot of uh, calves. I mean, if they weren't born, if it was bad weather, you better be there because they're so big. I mean, you look at their legs when they're born and it's, it's crazy, but they, we, uh, I mean, I, I like them. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I really wanted, I love the caramel calves, calves myself. I wanted to get like, grab my whole Charlet herd and then get red Angus bulls. And when you breed those to those white cows, you get that beautiful caramel calf. And I was like, imagine just seeing all the caramel cows, you know, across there, you know, kind of, you know, that oh. wasn't my original idea, but you know, again, you take a dock on it. So that would have been pretty. Pivot. You guys are like me yeah. though. You like to invest in everything. You, you guys ever do the uh, bucking bulls? I've, I've donated. No, really? We've never gotten into yeah, that I got, looks really, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I donated a few times on that. I had a few buddies. Boy, they, thought for, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they thought for sure they had one, and uh, and we we bought and raised nothing that, and just shit, lost my yeah. lost all my money. So yeah, been there, done that. You yeah. know, that's why you know you start learning uh, where you know you know you get into those little specialty things or someone you know they get you all excited. I'm I'm very I'm an opportunist. I get excited. He's an emotional buyer. I, you know, he, oh yeah, if you can. Ocean's right. He's ready to jump at any opportunity. And uh, I, I am myself, too. That's burned us quite a few times. Yeah. And that's the same here. Jordan will always come to me with a new idea. And I said, nah, I've already done, we've done that before. We're not doing that again. And Jordan's always like, damn, Dad, I, every time I come to you with an idea, you just shoot me down. And I'm like, well, we've tried that shit in the past. And it is. But at least you shoot him down. Him and I together, in a room, we just we hype each other up. And so we're willing to jump at anything. Oh, and it ends up that's funny. I hear you. So no, I we get done talking about how how well we're gonna like how good you know we're gonna be smarter than everybody else. We're gonna reposition this asset. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. All we think about is all the wins, and uh, you know yeah. get suckered in on some of those deals. And yeah, so well, it. Hey, but as you guys know, that's what allows you to just keep moving and going fast and uh, and getting to where you've gotten. I mean, uh, so many times I a lot of my friends overanalyze and. You know, and they worry yeah. about what could go wrong and what could go wrong and what could go wrong. And then they just really nothing really comes to fruition or nothing ends up happening. And I just told our family the other day we we're in a meeting. We were looking to buy another building and something else. And I'm all pumped up and hyped up. And I'm like, OK, quit worrying about what could go wrong. Let's talk about what the hell could go right. Let's just let's focus on that for a minute. And, uh, you know, and they're like, that's how you always are. And then when shit hits a fan, we got to deal with it all. And I said, well, OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, i hear what you're saying we just had this conversation last night we were like there are so many people out there that are so much smarter than us so much more organized and so much they have so much more talent than we do yeah but we've been able to be more successful or have more success thus far just because we don't overthink things i mean we you know we don't get caught by analysis or paralysis by analysis and just go for it yeah, yeah i we do I, I i agree with you guys yeah Oh, hardly. I, I, 
our kids many times. I, I feel like throughout my life, a lot of times you spend a lot of time thinking, planning, thinking, plan, and you know, and then once you jump off the cliff, shit, it's all out the window and it, it, your plans and everything, just nothing went as you thought. And so you're just improvising anyway. So what the hell? I mean, jump yeah, in and learn. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Jump in and learn. No, Peter right. last night told him, I, you know, I, if I was going to write a business book, not that I would, because he's more of the business book, I said, it'd be balls over brains. <laughs> I mean, most, there's a lot of people out there that are very bright and articulate and have a lot of talent, like what we were talking about last night, but they just, I mean, they won't pull the trigger. Like, yeah. and, you know, now, and then if you have a strong work ethic, you know, it all changes anyway. As soon as that whole plan, like you said, once you jump off, it goes to hell on a hay wagon real quick. So you start improvising, making pivots, start doing what you got to do, then you're in survival mode. Oh, sh you know, that oh shit moment. What yeah. just, this wasn't what was supposed to be. What are we going to do now? And you just start improvising. No, you're right. I was in a, uh, I always told the kids, I was in a board meeting one time with probably the sharpest CEO I've ever known. And this engineer came in and I mean, shit, he was talking above everybody's pet. You know, we didn't know what the hell he was saying. And I remember the CEO at the end of the table, he's like, look, you better figure out how to dumb this shit down to a third grade level. Cause he's like, I didn't get in this position I'm in because of my brains. I got here because of my balls and I got to be able to make some decisions quickly. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. damn, I just seen it so many times with different guys come in and, you know, lay out the big Harvard MIT, uh, skill and the engineering stuff. And yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's about the quickness and speed you can move and, uh, and navigate in those waters. So I would agree. Yeah. Especially in today's Let me ask this. What I know we rescheduled the podcast. What'd you guys have? You got a show you guys are doing? Yeah. So we just started, uh, you know, starting really last fall and going throughout all winter long, we were pitching to different networks. Um, you know, obviously I was on a, a dating show, which the whole goal of the dating show was never to end up with a girl. It was to promote my brands and promote this farming operation. And it ended up paying off, got into the right network of people. And it's a really small world out there in LA where all these reality shows come from. And so once we tapped into that network, uh, they've seen our operations, seen our family. And of course, with the popularity of Yellowstone, we started seeing the similarities and how we could gear our content to look and feel like Yellowstone on all of our social media channels and ended up working out. And we're on, uh, you know, right on the cusp of, of hopefully getting this TV show landed. And we'll see what happens throughout the rest of spring and the rest of this year. But I think it's going to be exciting. It's a real life Thank Yellowstone. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah we, just don't have a, we don't have a bad Exactly. <laughs> You can borrow my some dog. The girls could they could they qualify. Yeah, that's true. If we bring a couple yeah. of my exes on, we could get some crazy ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good. Classic there. So I was I was gonna ask you guys too, like, so like what's what's your goal or like what's your long-term goal or benefit you guys seeing for the farm for doing the show? I ran across I've heard of you guys, but I ran across you guys on uh TikTok that came by. I was like, man, that's a cool video. I think it was you guys flying around in a helicopter or something and that's when i reached out and finally said hey yeah we should meet up we're kind of close to each other i was just wondering like how do, how do you see what what's your do you guys have a plan for that how do you see some of this like social media stuff you're doing or the show paying off yeah we have you know we've always had a long-term goal with the farming operation and that is to become vertically integrated for uh where you know, I talked about our meat facility earlier that we're trying to build out. That's the end goal of what we want to do here, where we're uh, raising the animals that we end up 
butchering and we're feeding them our grain, our crops and in our pastures. And we can tell that entire story of where that animal was born, raised, where it was butchered, how it only went a couple miles in its entire lifetime. And then it ends up direct to consumer directly at their door in the form of a packaged product. And so we wanted to get out of, we always, we have such a love and deep rooted passion in farming and ranching, but let's be honest, it's a commodity market. It's a very, very, very tough industry to be in. And so we want to try and diversify within this industry as much as possible. And the way to do that is by selling these in packaged products to consumers. Cutting out, you know, three different middle guys between, you know, it, it, you know, just like the large meat facilities. I mean, everyone's seen the class action lawsuits. At the end of the day, there's like four packers across the country, right? And they all get together and say, we're going to just let them have enough money to live. You know, they're, they're not making any, but they're just enough to live. And really, that's where the lion's share of all the McDonald's, every, every, you know, they, they, all of, all the meat, right? Mm -hmm. So you cut them out. People have that transparency and knowing where that product comes from, from our family to your family, so to speak, from farm to table concept and truly be able to, to sell that and, you know, quit swimming in the red water of commodities or, you know, and, and actually create better margins by, you know, delivering a quality product that you, you know where it came from, you know, the whole ecosystem where it started and where it finished to your table. So state, stage one would be apex protein. Is that kind of the first stage? Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, we developed it in phases. Step one or phase one was starting these meat sticks, summer sausage, beef jerky, where I'm using boxed meat. All I have is a processing facility. And then as we try to learn the ropes of that, we find success. We build up a customer base. Now we're to the point where we're ready to build out that full-scale slaughterhouse and meat facility, start selling not only finished specialty products, but also your, your raw ground beef, your raw steak products that we're actually shipping direct to consumer, similar to a butcher box or a snake river farms type model. That's where we really want to be and position ourselves um, and, and be able to stay within this industry, but get out of that commodity market. That commodity market is just so dang tough and just feels like you can do so much work for, for so little reward. And so we're trying to see how we can diversify within this industry even helping out our local community. I mm -hmm. mean, the other local farmers in this area, uh, in, in our you know community where we could be, you know, hopefully getting enough sales volume uh, built up to where, where, where maybe we're even buying cows, but we know, we know those farmers, we know their practices, we know those producers mm -hmm. and, you know, even, and getting them a premium over what they would normally get because in the end we're getting a premium and basically share the rewards with everybody, not, get to the point where we're just trying to, you know, you know, like the big corporations do, so to speak. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of been our business model, or at least when we consult with people, we try to, you know, I think you have two choices. If you want to stay in the commodity space, which would be number two, yellow corn or the, you know, traditional beans, I think you have to try to become low cost provider and you have to really focus to be low cost provider because we don't stay in these times of good prices like we are right now for corn or beans for very long. We get oversupplied. Next thing we're back down. I was just looking hell it was the uh, summer spring of 2020. We were trading three, 320 in corn, you know, 325, yeah. three. And I'm like, we're going to go back there. There's no question of, uh, of if, but when, and that's when you need to be work. I mean, now's the times you need to be working to decommoditize. And I agree with you guys totally. If, if you can decommoditize and carve out a niche for yourself and like you said, brand yourself and 
I love the the cattle brand you got on the wall back there. And you say that's your guys' cattle brand, your registered brand. And yeah. Yep, yep. That's our registered brand. So just trying to to create a, you know, go from like we said, a, a commodity farming operation to a true brand and be able to offer food products, possibly even merch and apparel, you know, really to where we're selling that end product to a consumer or not just to a, a large corporation. Yeah. And it is a tough, it is a tough road to walk. I'm sure you will attest. I have a few friends who have made the transition or made the journey and uh, man, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. A lot of hard work, isn't it? A lot of money and time. And It's tough. Yeah. Building a brand takes time. And so that's why with the television show, with everything that we're doing on social media, it's all about trying to shortcut that timeline and expedite that timeline by getting in front of as many eyeballs and as large of an audience as possible to be able to offer them these products because if you can get that attention really attention is the new currency if you look at the latest and greatest billionaires or multi-multi-millionaires you look at people like conor mcgregor you look at people like the kardashians all these people got all these eyeballs all of them and they've been able to leverage that into multi-million billion dollar brands and so that's what our idea is get the attention and then take that attention in that audience and start selling them quality product right makes sense monetizing that sure to the yeah, so that, definitely more than, uh, you know, we, we, we kid around a lot about this show. And, you know, uh, it's definitely not for ego or popularity, Other you know, from where they're at and on on that, like Stephen was talking about attention. You know, you see this over and over and you you brought up engineer earlier. The old days, all the all the billionaires are like, you know, saying, who would you hire? Engineer, engineer, engineer. Now they're saying, who would you hire? You better get the best content, 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 mm -hmm. because that that's the new gold, mm -hmm. so to speak. We can shortcut that brand to take 15 years building to that be a segue into it's a two to three year process mm -hmm. to get this where it would take 15 years previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great thought. I, I totally agree with you guys for sure. And that's really it's been our success story and more so by luck than uh you know, skill, I guess, of in plotting it out or mapping it out. I got lucky with this in the report and it kind of blew up and, and took off. And, and really our mantra was to try and help other people build their business. And eventually that would come in return and, and help us build ours. And it, it has in spades. And so, you know, I, I agree with you on content and uh, those things being the new uh, oil and gold. So I, I, I think you guys are dead on, dead on target. So what uh, Jordan, go ahead. I won't get off subject. No, yeah, for sure. I, I was going to jump back and ask you guys, so what's your plan with uh, like with the farm to fork? Are you, are you guys wanting to just control that whole supply chain, like uh, from the farm to the processing and then to the consumer? Or are you guys, is your plan to like <clears throat> a lot of people on the show and their, their plan is to like get into Whole Foods? Like, are you guys trying to get in like with Amazon Whole Foods? I, I avoid retail like the plague. Uh, because I've learned this from the apex protein snack side. So if I go to a retailer, I'm automatically taking, you know, 40 to 60% off my top line margin for what the MSRP is on that product. And not only that, then if that product gets close to expiring, there's a buyback clause where 30 days before it expires, I have to buy that inventory back. And then what do I do with it? I have to basically sell it at a loss in order to get rid of it or just destroy the product. And so retail is the big enemy for me. Like I am doing every single thing we can to stay out of retail. And that's why I'd rather have a smaller facility that only moves 50 to hundred animals through the slaughter and kill floor than a 5,000 a week facility or some large volume facility, because then you're getting into all the risk of larger inventory quantities, larger infrastructure, 
And you're really just moving product for pennies at that point. I'd rather move. I say this all the time about my meat sticks. I'd rather move a million meat sticks and make a dollar fifty a meat stick than move twenty million meat sticks and make thirty pennies. You know, it just I hate the idea of scaling up like that. And then if you lose that buyer, if you make them mad and piss them off and they leave you, you're left with all that infrastructure, all that inventory, and you're just sitting there. And that's where that's where we talk, Jordan, about knowing where you're at on the customer continuum. And it's so important. Just so many people start a business and say, man, I would love to have Walmart be my buyer. It's like, no, that's the last place you want to go is over. It's, to the yeah, that's it. All those people live by the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. I mean, they'll, yeah. they'll put, they, they squeeze the little guy to, like I said, Thank to you. the point of, you know, it, mm. it's just, it's crazy. So no, you're I, way better off risk versus reward to, you know, Low, lower production or low, but better quality and way higher margins and the survivability and your direct to consumer, you're not going to have, you know, um, diversification, all your eggs in one basket. You, you have a Costco and a, and a Walmart online and it's everything you can do for demand. And then tomorrow Costco calls and says, Hey, we just created our own meat stick. You're out of our, you're out of our, here's your 30 day notice to be done. And you've created this whole world around Costco and they cut you right out without even a thought. You know, somebody sitting in a corporate room, corporate boardroom somewhere says, let's make our own. We make our own everything. And uh, and so when you go direct to consumer, though you have so many consumers and, and, you know, you can't make all the people happy all the time, you know, as that old saying goes. But you're not going to lose, you know, everybody all at once. You're not going to yeah, have 90% of your revenue isn't coming from one customer. Drop on you in a day. I totally agree. So will you guys go out and find your own? Outlets. I mean, do your beef sticks and the jerky be in gas stations and places around? So it'll be it'll be in very very select retailers. You know, some of these outdoor stores like a Shields treats you right. Uh, possibly a Cabela's and a Bass Pro. Yeah. I really would like to stay out of even gas stations. You look at a Casey's gas station. Notice right. over the past three years, now they're up to where about forty to fifty percent of their products are actual Casey's products. And I bet you within the next three to five years, that's going to turn into 90 to 100 percent of what's coming out of a Casey's gas station is Casey's branded products. Even their they have their own beef jerky, meat sticks. I've seen their own candies now, all of these similar like Skittle like products. It's actually coming out of a Casey's package. And that's where all of these gas stations, these retailers are moving to. And so why why even try to sell them and, and build up that infrastructure with them whenever we can use social media to get those eyeballs and have those eyeballs be the customers of our products? Again, coming back to our own brand, like, you know, being active in our own rescue. At the end of the day, when we when we own our own brand, we make those decisions. People don't make those decisions for us. We're not our hands are handcuffed behind our back. And, you know, we're living and dying on what their decisions are. It's our decisions. Makes sense. I remember we looked at one time we were out and about and I got tired, you know, traveling or speaking and I'm like, I'm tired of paying these high prices for beef jerky on the road. And I said, there's got to be a better way to do this shit. So we went on a big deep dive. We were going to do a beef jerky business and everything. But I, I came to realize, I mean, there's a lot of shrinkage and loss. And I mean, there's it's expensive. Lot. That's what I'm saying. It's expensive it's, to make. It isn't just that it's yeah. used up, you know. because Yeah, that's what people don't understand. They think that they think that the, the meat snack world is just making a killing on margins. But if you look at beef jerky, especially, you know, if you take a pound of meat, you're already looking at losing two thirds of that weight by the time it's dried down. Well, yeah, it's, it's nuts. So yeah, I agree. 
interesting business though, for sure. So do, do you guys do custom steaks or are you in competition with like an Omaha? I mean, you getting into that or is that a goal or? Getting into that, whenever we open up that new facility, that is going to be our business model is direct to consumer shipping custom steaks, uh, ground beef, other raw products, along with these specialty products, our hams, our summer sausage, uh, the beef, beef sticks or meat sticks, and then the jerky as well. Perfect. But what, what's your guys' plan with like shipping the cold products? Because I know that's been like the biggest hurdle for most That's folks. the next hurdle. That's whenever we talk about, you know, we, we kind of jump in both feet first without figuring out everything, uh, all the, the minor details. That's not really a minor detail, but that is something I'm just starting to wrap my head around now that I see phase one of Apex Protein Snacks. The actual shelf stable products are doing very, very well. We have that customer base built up. Now it's, okay, how do we move into the raw product? How do we get into shipping it? at a cost that makes sense for consumers. We're not going to run them off immediately. How do we go about that whole uh, logistical challenge? That's the next problem we're going to be facing. So you guys have any other ag businesses that you guys just got a bison herd, didn't you? We did. Yeah. So we're actually, we were making a trip out in June to Montana to pick up, well, actually about double our herd in size. So we're trying to grow the bison herd up to, 150 animals or so, and then we'll be able to use a few of those animals um, throughout the year. Probably 30 to 40 animals we'll butcher and then sell through our direct-to-consumer brand as well. Is, is that a good mark? I saw a buffalo. Uh, oh, there was a, a buffalo farm for sale down in my neck of the woods, uh, you know, down out in Cleveland. They're a peculiar Missouri. Oh, so well, right? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Over, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buffalo meat is very, very lean, and it's growing in popularity. Now, the key to a direct-to-consumer brand is consumer education. It's why am I paying this premium as opposed to a Walmart or a Costco? Why would I pay this premium for you? And so you have to be able to tell that story, and that's what I keep talking about whenever we're like, we can show you where this cow or buffalo was born, raised, how he was butchered less than two miles from the farms he lived on his entire life. He didn't grow up in a you know a factory in a, a commercialized operation, you know, fed poorly. He was grass fed, grain finished and being able to tell that whole story through social media and being able to connect directly to the consumer. That's where you see the benefits and where the customer was say, I, you know what, I'll pay 30 cents more a pound for a product like this or 50 cents more a pound for a product where I know that animal was well taken care of and came from a family owned farming operation as opposed to a commercialized corporation. Hmm. See one of them. We one look of them. at that. Yeah, go ahead. Really. Now, I said, we look at that in all of our businesses, even educating the consumer, um, you know, so they understand why. And that's a big thing, because once once you get them, once they 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 understand that, that value is always with them. They like they even on the car washes with our equipment packages, like what we're spending on equipment and why why we have the best equipment. It'll never scratch your car. It'll do this. It'll do that. But. You know, so the people don't just say, oh, it's another car wash. I mean, you just go through, they wash your car. Well, there's a difference. And so, but you have to educate the consumer on what those differences are so they understand the value. Mm -hmm. And so, It's the same thing as a, a Yeti cooler as opposed to an Ozark trail. You know, everyone's making knockoff Yeti coolers now, but Yeti's only grown in market share and still has that stranglehold on the cooler market. Even though you're paying two to three times as much for a Yeti, it's because they were able to tell that story. They were able to grow that true brand and create that loyal following from their uh, social media pages through the story and creative uh, content that they would put out there to their audience. And that's the same thing we're trying to do with our operation. Makes sense. Hey, quick question on a side note. So when I got in high school, when I was old enough, I'd switched and 
one of the old boys up the up the road, he started running Buffalo. And so I'd go work a Buffalo herd. What do you, what do you think? How do you like the difference in working the Buffalo versus? You know, our, the Buffalo that we have, they've been pretty, pretty decent, but you know, they're, they're decent until you get them into a tight quarter. Yeah. Then, oh, yeah. then it's on, then, then it's game on, as I'm sure, you know, yes. been around them. Um, so we built a lot of steel, uh, high steel fencing to handle, you know, as we worked them, um, you know, the vet from Chillicothe over here, she she brought she came out and you know, everything went well. Um, honestly, uh, a lot better because you know, as we worked our th- we just got those a year ago, right? Yeah. And we worked them through twice now, and they've really been pretty smooth. Now, um, you know, there's a couple, you know, again, you know, we we handled it right. We had the facilities. Um you, you definitely want to have that tall steel fence. And yeah, I mean, when they're in a confined space. You better have your head on a swivel, and you better, yeah. you know, you better be paying attention because it can you could be in trouble real quick. Yeah, yeah I, I never got sure. torn up too bad, but the uh, the old boy I worked for, I mean, he got, I mean, he got in the hospital two or three times. I mean, they just seemed different. They just got spooked a little different. You know, I mean, just things were a little, like you said, when you got them in a confined area, they just, you never knew what might. The, right? One of them, the, the minute you get one of them freaked out, it is all of a sudden a stampede mentality, and that's yeah. where things get really, really. But if you can keep the herd calm for the most part, as long as you don't have the one or two that start spazzing out whenever you get them into tight working areas, they stay pretty calm. At least our herd does. So we were able to work them through uh, cattle shoots, just normal cattle shoots. And they sell actual buffalo shoots that are bigger. They're taller. uh, They're more geared toward buffalo body. Sturdy. Yeah, they're more sturdy. But we've been able to work ours through cattle shoots, no problem at all. Uh, And Knock on wood, that stays the same. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because we're going when we go out to get this next group of uh, bred cows. I think we're picking up twenty five more. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, at, well, with calves on their side too. Yeah. But you got to trailer them with the cat. You you did not separate a mama buffalo and her calf. I mean, she or she'll tear the trailer. She won't stop. Wow. So it's not like you know if you're moving cattle, you separate the calves off. So you want an equal size together. So you just have to. You can't. You know put as many in a trailer because you have to put cow calves in pairs in there mm-hmm. and you don't separate them off. I mean, that's the kind of thing they're, they, they, you know, I, I liken them to like, we had white tail deer at a farm over here. We bought. Yeah. You think Buffalo are wild. Wait till you're raising deer and trying to work them. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, <laughs> you guys do that. Oh yeah. It, we don't do it anymore. No. But we, we, we bought a farm that had it on there already. So yeah. we're like, oh, this is really cool. Let's let's mess. We'll hobby these white-tailed deer, and you get in a pen with a white-tailed deer, and it's a suicide job. I'm talking 100 <laughs> miles an hour straight at you with a fence over and over and over. It's insane. It's insanity. Yeah. Really. Our buffalo. I don't think our steel fence will hurt. No. Yeah. The, the way the deer, they'll literally kamikaze themselves into fences. Yes. For you. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Shit. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, it was quite the deal. So what's the in the dark? What what do you got? What's the price? Is uh, the buffalo pencil better, or how's the how they compare? You get price? less meat, you know, on the rail they they're leaner. You get less meat, so you know you know say uh you know by the time you're all done out of a thousand pound buffalo, you end up with like three hundred and forty five or three hundred sixty pounds. Mm-hmm. But obviously the premium, the price is more. Yeah, so, it's it's seven to eight bucks for a ground pound of uh, okay. buffalo compared to you know to what to. It'll probably be 10 for bison by the time we start yeah. butchering. Slower growth. I mean, 
they it's about two year maturity um, to butcher. So, um, you know, it's kind of like Wagyu, I guess, because they're, I mean, I haven't raised Wagyu, but I've got a buddy that said, you know, they take about two years, you know, instead of, instead of that, uh, you know, 14 to 16 months time, same. So are you guys going to get into the Wagyu and some of the higher ends and see where we things talked about it? You know, even even as busy as we are and as much as we like to take on, sometimes we hit our uh, uh, capacity. Yeah. And so that may be something on down the line. We actually had a plan to do that a couple of years back. And then whenever you're struggling to get done what you need to get done already, there is that point where you're like, OK, I think it's time we slow down a little bit and focus on what we got rather than try to dive in something that we don't know. And some of the things that we're looking at, um, you know, uh, some of the, you know, uh, direct to consumer, whether it was apparel or boots or whatever mm -hmm. we may do, you know, uh, raising live animals, as you know, you've, you guys have been in this ag industry your whole life. So the challenges of all that, if there's another model that maybe uh, that could, could, you know, piggyback uh, along with the ag side of some some apparel type stuff. Yeah. And it's a little easier. To yes, it's a lot easier manage. to not work with a live widget <laughs> that can die, attack you. Mother Nature has... Uh, can destroy yeah. in a flood or drought, so or disease or yeah. whatever that may be. So, um, you know, we kind of we kind of talked about trying to find a, more, a few more specialty products to offset. You know, we'd love to grow like fully grow every like the. I mean, we that's our full intentions to grow the cattle, the bison, the whole portfolio here. But we want to get some products that you know weather doesn't dictate the margins, etc. That we can have more steady cash flow um, from those kind of products. Is yeah. that uh is that the main reason you guys got in the car wash business? Yeah, that's exactly that's right. The whole you look at a car wash, and it's about the polar opposite of a farming operation. It's not labor intensive, it doesn't depend fully on mother nature like farming does. Uh there is no accounts receivable, and you also get your money before anyone goes to the car wash. So in a farming operation, you basically in a normal operation, you have an 18-month cash flow cycle where you're paying for inputs come fall to catch that eight to ten percent discount. You're putting it in the ground that next spring, growing that crop and harvesting it that next fall, and then you're holding on to it until the following spring. To capture the carry. To capture that carry. So it's an 18-month cash flow cycle. At a car wash. Inverted cash flow Yeah, it's inverted. At a car wash, we're making the money on the front side, and we're getting money every single day. So it's a lot easier cash flow cycle to budget from. You want to tell us a little bit more about the car wash and like kind of the growth you guys have been on? Yeah, the car washes, we're really excited about the car washes. So we have uh, McBee's Coffee and Car Wash. So the coffee is a big deal. But we all, um, so, and, and I'll let Stephen talk a little about the coffee, but we have state of the art dog wash. I don't know if you've seen it, but dog washes are getting really popular. And we, was the Netherlands is where these came from. Yep, yep. They're, they're, uh, they were engineered and, and designed after Elon Musk's Cybertruck super modern have the tv screen they're working on the software now that it, it will take pictures when you're washing your dog people can facebook instagram send the pictures of their dog getting washed you know everybody loves their dog kind of like children so yeah and you look at the car wash industry as a whole it's very similar to a farming operation where everyone as from a consumer standpoint thinks it's a commodity i can go get my car wash here or here well, then you just get into the bloodbath that is trying to price your product lower than the other car wash across the street. Instead of going that route, we looked at what value we could add on to a car wash and add on to our customers. So not only do we have state-of-the-art car wash equipment that is as good or greater than any car washes in our areas that we compete in, we also have the drive-through coffee shop where our customers and our members get a coffee included with every single car wash. 
And then we also have the dog wash. So we just try to throw as much value at our customers as possible. And the coffee side was something that we did not expect the demand to be as great as it is. We should have known seeing Starbucks scooters, seven brews pop up literally on every single street corner that coffee was a serious demand. But we started off just as coffee is almost a side product. So we had a few standard brews that weren't anything you know, serious. We didn't think that we were going to be moving a whole lot of volume. We opened up on day one. And for the first three months, our biggest complaint was, you guys don't have that big of an offering. You don't have all these different products that we want in coffee. So we had to revamp and pivot our coffee kitchen to literally have Starbucks and Scooters quality coffee, along with a very, very good car wash. And so that was something that you know, we fell flat on our face the first three months. We quickly had to learn, pick up, and pivot to make our coffee up to par with the Starbucks and the scooters. And now we offer every single thing that they do. It's kind of like when you go to a hotel. That's what I'd say. You go there. All hotels have free free coffee, right? Everybody still goes down to Starbucks. They want their specialty coffee. You know, I know that, uh, like Dutch Brothers, 80% of all their coffees have cold drinks now. Yeah. Like, yeah. so, um, mixes. So, yeah, it's yeah. quite the deal. So do, you guys, but it, do, do you guys run, is the coffee an, an expense or is it a profit center? So uh, currently the way we price in our models and our memberships, it's an actual profit center. So okay. we have our standard menu where that comes, you get one included with every single car wash, or if you're a member, every single time you come through the wash and you can upgrade that coffee to an extreme specialty coffee or our deluxe coffees is what we call them and even those coffees are 70 percent of the cost of what you'd have at a starbucks or a scooters so even those super premium high-end coffees are still cheaper than what you find at a starbucks or a scooters and we're still making profit on them we yeah. just wanted the coffee to be an attractive draw for our customers we're a car wash first but our coffee is very 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 solid as well and it's it's the same machines that chick-fil-a and scooters uses we've got i mean our our of the coffee guy. From the yeah. Coffee. Yeah. Whenever I talked about falling flat on our face those first three months, like I said, the demand was there and we realized we had to quickly pivot. So we ended up hiring Tracy Allen, who did all of Chick-fil-A's entire coffee menu, all of Scooter's entire coffee setup. He happens to be right here from Kansas City and he's a coffee connoisseur. Actually grew up, world, yeah, right? he's the number, basically the number one coffee guy in the world. He grew up literally in Chillicothe, Missouri, which is right down the road from us. And so it was just crazy convenient coincidence <laughs> that he lived right here in Kansas City. And so we joined on with him to revamp our coffee menu, and he gave us an, an extreme makeover in our coffee kitchen to where now we are, we're on par with the Starbucks or our scooters. We have the exact same setup as the scooters. Everybody loves our coffee. They just rave over it. Yeah. And, you know, even for a premium coffee, what is it, three bucks or yeah. four bucks? Yeah. Compared to, you know, your five or six bucks. Uh, minimum for minimum. Starbucks or scooters. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's with all the car, all, uh, you know, I'm not a coffee. We dress them up. Yeah. It, it looks it yeah. looks beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Aesthetically yeah, and, and taste. Jordan and I have been out on the road before and he's like, shit, dad, there's one of the, there's one of McVee's car. I mean, it is, you guys have all the bells and whistles. Got one right up the street. <laughs> yeah. Not far, not far. So. Oh yeah. They're in Belton. Yep. Yeah. What's the nut? What's the hell? What's the nut on one of those high dollar car? What, what's the. What's Jordan, the we're going to check if you have a pass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. What, uh, you know, we can wash ghoulies too. That's the other thing. Yeah, we can. So coming from the farming background, my biggest frustration is I've got an F-250 King Ranch standard. Yeah. I don't have it or anything. And I couldn't take it through any of the car washes in Kansas City. So whenever we built out ours, we're like, okay, from a farmer's perspective or a country boy or, or, or woman perspective, because we live in the Midwest, we want to take virtually every vehicle. So we have conveyor belts instead of a drag chain. 
And so what we're able to do is take anywhere from a low profile Corvette all the way up to a Dually truck and about everything in between because we have those two 32 inch wide conveyor belts that literally is an escalator Just, for yeah, escalator right through the yeah. wash, right through the tunnel. I'll go buy a membership this weekend because <laughs> I never go <laughs> in those damn automatic <laughs> car washes because my truck, they don't let yeah. me in. Yep. And then, yep. uh, yeah, we'll be able to take you right through. I happen to know a guy that has a few, so just, uh, you know, shoot me a message after this. We'll get you hooked up. Yeah, my yeah. Wrangler has a damn grill guard on it, so they won't let me in either. So, yeah, yeah, we can take them all. I'm a manual guy. <laughs> what, what's the? I had a couple of buddies that were pretty big into car washes. What's the biggest expense on the car? I remember they got into some crazy shit with like the sewers and rehab. Yeah, the water on things with the city. Water taps are going up big time. Yeah. Uh, water taps in, in Colorado right now are over a million dollars just to tap into the city water. Damn, Thankfully, okay. we're not that expensive in the Midwest, but it's still. Uh, approaching $100,000 just for the water tap. And obviously construction build outs the last three years, they've just gone through the roof. They've more than doubled on every single build out, which is- yeah. It used to be, you know, even with the lot included, you know, around say $4 million, depending on the lot cost. I mean, they're every bit of seven, seven and a half million dollars now per mm -hmm. location. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's it's not an ease of entry business. No, I it takes some serious that. capital. That's That was the, the problem. You know, we got into it right in, 2018, 2019 is when we first started designing. Uh, designing. And that was whenever we were looking at four to four and a half million dollar loans, you know, for these washes. That was what we were running our budgets off of. We get halfway through construction, all of a sudden construction costs just doubled. And now it's seven million dollars of build out. Like, you know, and thankfully they do make uh, enough money to to cover the debt service. But still, that's uh, doubling in, a, in the loan is uh, was not an expected deal. Almost tripling rates, doubling, doubling. Because, yeah. oh, you know, construction cost increase uh almost triple the rate so yeah it's uh again it's it's a pivot a challenge and a grind there's no i tell everybody there's no everybody wants to go you know, get rich quick scheme that doesn't exist i mean you know it's like winning the lottery get out there grind it out bust your ass that, i mean that's what everybody wants to they always say well we want to do what you do what we want to do okay well, then don't go to the bar at five o'clock every day. You know, don't don't be partying every weekend. And, and, you know, it takes hard work, effort, a lot of pressure to to grind it out. They, yeah. they, so that was that was my biggest uh, shell shock was whenever we opened up these car washes. I was just under the impression that we found the right lot. We just got to get this thing open and the people will come. And that could not have been more opposite. We opened that first day and we didn't have our marketing side together. Hadn't really been promoting the wash the way we should have. And it flopped the the really like those first three months were tough. And so it's there's no business out there. Every single thing that you think is, you know, get rich quick scheme or just build it and it you just start making money hand over fist. There's nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Legally, I, at least. Yeah. No, I always, yeah. If you think you're just gonna send somebody money or write a check for something and it's just gonna come back in your mailbox every yeah, it's it probably not gonna happen. Probably not. No, no. Any single time we've tried to do that or invested into a stock that we thought was going to make us rich, did the polar opposite. <laughs> yeah, that is so true, and you are right there. Do not ask us for stock. Don't ask us for stock advice. We've decided that we are not stock market. Uh, we, we're going to we're going to stay with tangible assets. Yeah. We want to feel, see, touch them. Yeah, we've uh, yeah we we take you know everybody was making a big windfall there, and everyone thought they were a, a genius on the stock market picking the right stocks, and then. Then, then it just it flips very quickly and then it is in the opposite direction. Yep. You're you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I like what you guys got going. It looks like you're building it the right way and all hands on deck and everybody's looks like the kids and everybody are invested and 
doing their doing their part so well we enjoy it we enjoy working together as a family and uh you know it, it really i think everyone's got the the right buy-in and the right mindset to what we're trying to do we're here for the long haul we're not in this to uh get in and get out in a few years and you know go live our life on the beach we're going to work every single day we enjoy enjoy working enjoy working as a family and so that's what we're going to do for really the rest of our lives yeah i wouldn't retire i don't ever want to retire if i if yeah. i retired i'd go to an island stay there two weeks and call call my banker and be like hey i think i could build a resort down here and make this thing work <laughs> exactly. that's what my wife says i keep telling her i said i need to retire and she's like no you'll drive me nuts if you retire we'll be into more shit then than we are now so probably true you still yeah. you guys still hunt in here I do. My dad doesn't anymore. Uh, I usually get out two or three days a year. We used to be ate up with it and, and be out there as much as we could. But now with so many things, so many irons in the fire, we don't get as much time as we'd like. Yeah, it just takes time, doesn't it? Everything takes time, it seems like. <laughs> what else? A tree stand for me. I haven't really done it for the last probably five or six years. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, I you know lose three or four hours, I'm like, oh, I can't have that time back this time. <laughs> exactly exactly jordan what else you got um i was gonna ask him a little bit on just like i think we touched on it there a little bit but like the family dynamic like how, how is it working with the family how, how do you guys kind of delegate roles um all that yeah we thankfully we have pretty much complementary skill sets uh my dad and i are, have very similar skill sets very similar personalities but the rest of the boys you know we have jesse who's my younger brother he's 26 yeah 26. he's a construction management major so he oversees the actual construction of the car washes he's our on-site superintendent cole is born and bred to be a gallatin resident for life he loves it up here he loves the farm he'll never leave the farm and so he's more in the field manager and then my youngest brother brayden loves the car washes isn't too much or too big on the farming side of things so he's a actual a site manager right now and is working his way up to really be the, the regional manager as we open up more and more locations so we have a good complementary skill set we still fight and get into arguments every single day but the good thing about us is we could be cussing each other out on the brink of throwing fists and then an hour later we'll be sitting around a dinner table laughing like nothing happened <laughs> that's the that's the best part i hear you that's, sure. that's exactly yeah. So, uh, what, what's next for you guys? What's, what's the next big venture? Is there a next big venture or are you guys just trying to build out what you got or? Yeah, we're working on. We're yeah. Working on uh, yeah. We, we've got some big projects in the works, obviously the meat facility, uh, the show, which we tapped on a little earlier. That's the rest of this year is going to be very, very exciting. Um, yeah. what, the potential knock on wood potential has, uh, Huge, huge, potential. huge potential for us. Opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. And, and so we'll see how it ends up working out, how Q4 of, of 2023 comes together. Probably even third quarter, we can, we'll be able to talk about, mm -hmm. openly talk about everything and yep. what we have in the pipeline yep. and what's going on. Um, yep. They they want to do their press releases and their media team will let us know mm -hmm. timeframes on what we can do and say. The details we can have on it. Yeah. We'll just say that from late April through mid-July, you probably won't be seeing a whole lot of us or hearing from us on social media. Yeah, we're going to be tied up. Okay. <laughs> we're just going to go silent because we're going to be grinding seven days a week with uh, uh, quite a few people around the farm with cameras <laughs> on their faces. Yeah, that'll be great. We're looking forward to it'll it. It'll be fun. It'll it'll be interesting. Definitely uh, an experience that you know I thought at fifty one I would not be. Uh, that was not where I would have envisioned it myself. So yeah, cool. I got to get together next time we uh, we do dinner. We got to, uh, oh, for sure. 100%. Yeah, that'd be great. you guys get down to Kansas City much? 
All the oh, time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Cool. They, uh, they got a place on the plaza. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 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 So I'll, I'm going to be staying at the farm, obviously, the next few months. But I, before that, I was down at the plaza, especially over winter, two, three days a week. So. Yeah. Checking on all the car wash and everything else. So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that'd be great. Well, where do uh, where do people go? We got to sell something on this on this show. What what, what do we sell on the car washes? The the protein sticks? Yeah, or... I'd say right now, you know, go to McBeastCoffeeandCarWash.com. Uh, you can either buy a membership there. If you want to go check us out, we're all over Kansas City, Springfield, Missouri, Little Rock, Arkansas. New locations are opening up each month. Just come by and check us out. If you go to our website, we actually offer you a free wash. All you have to do, there's a free wash widget right on the homepage of the website. Just type in your phone number and we'll send you a free wash barcode. You get a free coffee with it. Come check us out. We'd love to uh, to show you what we're all about, how we've translated our family customer service oriented operation from the farm side now to the car wash industry. And uh, by the end of this year, we'll have to do another one of these podcasts and we can open sure. up a lot more about what's yeah. about to take place and the craziness that's about to happen. How do the people uh, follow your family on all the social media? What do you got? I know you guys like stuff. Yeah, we're big on TikTok and Instagram. Our farming operation is McBee Farms. Um, my personal Instagram is Stephen McBee. His is Steve A. McBee. But if you go to McBee Farms, you can see all of us being tagged on there. You can really find us from that hub. Um, you know, we have a, a very good content creator, media guy. He's posting very cool behind the scenes videos from our farming operation, our car washes. You can see really the full scale global side of what we do. And, and so check us out there. And we'd love to have some dialogue back and forth, see where we can get better, hear from you guys. Uh, we're always, always interested. In always open to feedback. Uh, we still believe in America that people deserve customer service. And that's, you know, that's why we like the car washes we talked about getting it. I mean, how we show our quality of customer service over the competitors. That's, that was, we teach it, we train it. We, I mean, that is our company culture through and through. So come, come experience it and uh, give us your feedback. You know, we, we encourage good you or bad. Yeah. We, yeah we, but either way, yeah. let us know how we can improve uh, good or bad. One, one, one thing you could maybe steal that I'll give you. I was at a meeting one time and, uh, oh shit. What's the guy that owns golden nugget, Jordan? Uh, Tillman. Yeah. Bertita was there and he owns all those damn restaurant chains too. Right. And they were talking about customer service and he kind of snapped and uh, he said, I want to hear one more damn person talk about customer service. And I, you know, I'm like, what, what the hell? And he's like, we call it hospitality around here. So when we do farm kind of, we do our events, there's a big difference. So think about that. There's a big difference between hospitality and customer service. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I, I like that. I love what you guys are doing. Yeah hospitality we yeah. provide the best hospitality in the business so i like know. that it's a lot friend, friendlier term makes it feel more like family doesn't it? i mean so my kids will say dad we just got upper customer service i said no we got to provide better hospitality these people are coming in our house man we got we got to yeah. do it, uh, do it because yeah everything we do up here everyone says you guys have the best hospitality yeah i mean that's the way my dad raised i mean you know you yeah. you if you're if we were eating fish sticks and mac and cheese for dinner because we were dirt poor you knocked on our door you sat down and ate dinner with us i mean that's, that's right. how my dad yeah. that's how we feel about it too so yeah i agree with you guys so i love it yeah, the same yeah heck yeah cool so i well, appreciate let's grab some dinner yeah, all of us. yeah, yeah thank you sure. i'm definitely that was... yeah that'd be good i'll treat we'll be there yeah. appreciate you guys taking yeah, have yeah, thank you guys. I'm I'm yeah. highly interested. I'll, I'll I'll keep in touch. So yeah, appreciate the time. Uh, and, uh, thank you guys. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah, good All luck right. with planning. So thank you. Likewise. Yeah. All All right. Right. See you.